Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast. We are a small church located in West Lafayette, Indiana. This podcast is our recorded Sunday morning teachings. Join us as we learn to love, grow, and share what God has given us. About a fun event in American history. So some of you who are from another country, or maybe if you grew up in America and you just didn't pay attention in high school, you don't know as much about this. It's the Boston Tea Party. How many of you are aware of the Boston Tea Party? Okay. Does anybody not know what the Boston Tea Party is? There's a few of us that don't know what the Boston Tea Party is. It was a critical point in the movement for American independence. Back in the 1700s, it was 1773, I believe, Britain had colonized America, and America was growing, and Britain decided they wanted more money, and they levied a three-cent tax on tea per pound, three, three whole cents. And America, many people in America did not like this. They thought, hey, if you're going to tax us, we should get a voice in your government and it wasn't the case. But Britain had decided, we want to show you a lesson that we're in charge here and we have the right to tax you. So what happened was Britain sent four ships full of tea. I think it was something like 96,000 pounds of tea to Boston Harbor. And the people of Boston got on their boats, 90 some of them dressed up like um, Mohawk warriors, stormed the boats, grabbed all the tea, and for three hours threw it all into the ocean. Actually, it was only three boats. The fourth one had crashed on Cape Cod, and they'd offloaded it there. Then they went into town and hunted down all of the tea that was on the other boat, broke into shops, warehouses, stole all that tea, and threw it in the harbor as well as a form of protest against the government. I think that story is so American and hilarious. But that's what our country, the attitude our country was founded on. Liberty, democracy, we should get a say in how things are being done around us. And when we don't like what's happening, we're going to let you know about it violently at times. It's really interesting because in some ways, it's very similar to the way Israel was right after the time of Jesus. They were being ruled by the Romans The Romans had oppressed the people and were levying heavy taxes on them. And Israel was saying, this isn't what God wants. This isn't the way it should be. And there was a growing movement in Israel and of the Jewish people saying, we need to rise up. We need to violently overthrow these oppressors. And their expectation was, this is what God is doing in our time. This is what God wants when God sends a Messiah to save his people That is his mode he's going to be in. The conquering warrior savior who's going to overthrow the Roman Empire and establish Israel as its own little happy thing again. Today we're going to continue in our series on 1 Peter. If you can guess what we're talking about today, it is being subject to authority. If you read the Bible... Now, this is my opinion. Some people might argue with me on this, but I'm the pastor, so you have to listen to what I say today. Some people might argue with me on this, but I believe the American Revolution, the Boston Tea Party, and a lot of what led to the founding of our nation, if people had read the Bible, 
it would have looked very different. People wouldn't have been involved in the things they were involved in if they took Scripture seriously. And I'm going to talk a little bit about why. Before we uh, jump in here a little bit and talk more about government, about Scripture, about God and God's plan for His people, I just wanted to make a quick announcement. Many of you in this church have been praying for our brother Bruce. He was a grad student here at Purdue who had leukemia and has been battling that for years. And this week, uh, Bruce went to be home with the Lord. He passed away down in Houston, I believe it was, in Texas. And so I just thought we'd take a minute just to bow our heads, pray for Bruce's family and Bruce's fiance, Karim, just that God would be giving them grace. So, God, just thank you for the time we were able to know Bruce. Thank you, Lord, that Bruce, even though he had grown up not knowing you or much about you, Lord, that he found you when he came here to America, that he put his faith in Jesus Christ, and that he had a genuine hope for his future when he died. God, and just thank you that he had that to cling to and comfort him in the end. God, and I just pray for Karim, for Bruce's parents, for his family and friends, Lord, that you would just be with them this week, comforting them, giving them grace. God, just that you would be with them, and even um, those who don't know you, Lord, that they would understand Bruce's heart and his faith, and that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ as well. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been walking through the book of 1 Peter together. We've walked through chapters 1, and we're finishing up chapter 2 pretty soon here. I've got our outline that I've been using up here next. We are on point four. We're flying through this book, and we're only halfway through the semester. Well, not even yet. The book started off with a quick introduction of who was writing it and why was he writing it, who was it to. Then he spent a while, this is the Apostle Peter who walked with Jesus, spent a while talking about the amazing salvation that they had through Jesus Christ, that Christ died, he was raised again, and because of that, they had an amazing inheritance for their life. And from there, last week, Fred started talking about, or um, finished talking about the call to holiness, that because Christ died, he made us as Christians, something new. We've been born again, and we have been called to be holy like God is holy, to live a different life than the people around us, to put off sin, soak in the word of God, and be changed. And then finally, we're moving on to the rest of the meat of the book. What does it look like to live as exiles in this world? Now, if you guys remember... We have been talking about how this book was written to suffering Christians in the ancient world. They were Christians who, it wasn't some big grand persecution by the state governments. It was the everyday persecution of people around you saying, I don't like them, I don't like what they say, I don't like what they do, they annoy me. And that kind of cultural persecution that happens. And we thought as a church, it's just a great thing for us to be equipped with. What does God's word say to the church when the culture around them doesn't like what it has to say. And that's why we're going through this. This section we're going to be talking about today, we're going to go through 1 Peter 2, chapters 11 through 7, or verses 11 through 17. It starts with the meat of how do you live in this hostile world around us? 
And in America, we know not everything around us is hostile. We have been founded on Christian principles for the most part. We are a very religiously free country. We don't face a lot of the troubles a lot of other countries around this world have in terms of religion and believing in Christ. But our society has been shifting step by step to being less Christian and more antagonistic to what the Bible teaches us to believe. And we're going to talk about what do we do? Do we throw all the tea in the harbor? Do we want to overthrow the government? What does Christ tell us to do? I know I already prayed once, but I forgot to pray for our word today and what we're going to learn. So let's just bow our heads again real quick and just ask the Lord to be speaking to us, helping us to understand him through his word. Lord Jesus, just thank you, Lord, that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness through your promises and through your word and through your grace. God, that you show us what it means to live a righteous and holy life. God, and that's what we want. As you have saved us, we want to be like you. And I pray today you'd soften our hearts, help us to look at your word afresh today, Lord, and that what you have for us, we would hear it, we would seek to understand, and we would want to apply it in our own lives as we follow you, that you might be glorified. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, we're starting off a new section in a sense, in the scripture. Why don't we take a read through it real quick, and then I'll kind of overview what the section looks like. So we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I also have it on the screen. It's an ESV. So if you don't like ESV, uh, plug your ears and read it in whatever other translation you prefer. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 17. says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Really, our section is divided into two main parts today. And as you're reading through this, you know, it talks about the emperor, and you might be going, okay, emperor, what is he talking about? Well, I'll tell you, it's not this guy. We're not talking about old Sheevy Palpatine here. This is um, from Star Wars, for those of you who aren't Star Wars people. I was talking to Noodle, and he's like, that's the only thing I'm going to think about for the rest of the teaching, which is fine. I'm a big Star Wars guy, and if you didn't read Emperor and think of this, we're on different planets. I'm sorry. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm thinking about the uh, Star Wars Lego holiday special from a few years ago. 
where she, he has like a, a Grinch moment where all of a sudden he turns good at the very end, right, as he's falling down the reactor shaft. And it's, it's okay, moving on. Um, when you have kids, things are different, you know? So what is, he, what is Peter talking about here? Peter, sharing two main thoughts. And I think what we have here is the first slide and the second slide divided into sections. Let's go to the next slide here. The first thing Peter is trying to instruct them in is, as we live in this world, we as Christians must keep our conduct honorable. We must be keeping our conduct honorable. Why don't we read this verse again, and I'm going to share a little bit about what I think Peter's trying to help us understand here. So, this is verses 11 and 12. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He's laying out for them, as we interact with this world, what should we do? He calls them sojourners and exiles. We don't really use the word sojourner a whole lot in our society today. A sojourner is someone who is temporary dwelling in a, spa- a place that is not their home. An exile generally is somebody who has been removed from their true home and is living somewhere that's not their home as well. It's kind of both plays on a similar concept. Peter is reminding these guys that Look, Christ died for you and rose to heaven, and you have a new home. This earth where you live is not where you belong. You are no longer a citizen of this earth, of this country primarily. What you are is a citizen of heaven, and you're not home yet. Live like you're not there. Live like someone who is different than the world around you. And then he encourages us in a couple of ways. How do we do that? And the two ways he says here is abstain from the passions of the flesh and conduct yourself honorably. Two things, both kind of sides of the same coin. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, conduct yourself honorably. I don't know when you guys think about passions of the flesh, what comes to your mind. I know for a lot of people, when we think about passion in our society, generally we are thinking about romance or sexuality or things like that, that there's a passion that I have for another person. But really, this word here, it talks about any lust we have that's pointed to ourselves and gratifying ourselves without a mind toward God. The things where we are thinking, how can I feel good today? What will make me feel better And in 1 John, it talks about these things being the lusts of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh, and pride of life. It's the things this world, as a system, prizes. It's the people and places that say, do what feels right. Do what makes you feel good. It doesn't matter about it being right or wrong. What's right is what feels right. Scripture tells us that is not how God has created us to be. Whatever feels right in the moment, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but that's not a good judge on what you should do with your life or how you should spend your time. He warns you that the things that our life longs for are in opposition to who Christ has made us to be when we were born again. They wage war against our soul. 
We talked a couple of weeks ago how we were born again to a living hope that when we accept Christ, God makes something new come alive into us spiritually. We are a new creature, a new creation, and the old is passing away and the new has come. And we talked about how that has left in us a battle between the old self that's trying to satisfy itself by whatever way it can in this world and the new self that's created in the image of Christ Jesus that is now satisfied in the gospel, knowing Christ has died for it. There's a battle going on. And Peter is reminding them, look, you don't belong to this world. Don't satisfy or try to satisfy your soul with the things of this world. Whether it's relationships alone, whether it's career, whether it's being the best at something, whether it's the pride that wells up in you when you are persecuted, don't live out those things. Abstain from them. Back away from them and say, I'm not going to do that. But then next he calls them to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. The word Gentile literally was translated from the word the nations. And the Jews used this word the nations to refer to everyone that wasn't a Jew. Peter is using this and including these Christians, many of whom were Gentiles, using it in a new way, in a sense. The Gentiles is everyone who is not a believer in Jesus. You're living amongst these people, and what must you do is you must keep your conduct honorable. I think it's interesting when you think about what is honorable. It's honorable is what is right and what is good in people's eyes. When people look at you and say, wow, that's a good thing to do. That's the right thing to do in this moment. In one sense, that's a quick judge of what's honorable. I'll give you two examples of me being honorable. I love playing basketball. Me and my cousin Drew go to the co-rec three times a week usually, try to play some basketball, and my team is always mad at me. Why? It's because when I hit the ball out of bounds, I'll say, oh, I hit the ball out of bounds. The other team gets the ball. And they're always like, Tom, don't call that. Like, they, they would have given us the ball. You didn't have to tell them that you did it last. Like, just let it go. We end up with a ball. Or when I foul someone, I'm like, oh, that's mine. I fouled them. They're like, just don't say it. Let them say it, and maybe we'll get away with it. I'm sorry. I can't. I have to be honorable. I got to do the rules. I want to do what's right. And they're always mad at me because they want to win. It's the pride of life. And I just want to be, I don't know, I don't want I just want to be fun. I don't know. Well, what's really interesting is while I'm out there playing basketball, they're always talking about different stuff. One of the guys introduced me to his girlfriend. He's like, yeah, here's Tom, and Tom makes me want to be a better person. I'm like, really? We play basketball, and for whatever reason, he has seen my life. He knows I'm a pastor, and I don't talk about God with these guys that much, very much at all, really, yet. I want to, but I haven't. And he sees that I am different. Different than him and different than the way he reacts. He looks at me and he's like, he sees me as honorable in my conduct, I think. Another story about being honorable, when I was just out of high school, me and my friend were leaving church and I was backing the car up and we were talking and not paying attention. I wham, smacked into a car right behind me, like pretty hard. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. I didn't hit the headlight. I've also done that. 
but that's different. And I'm like, oh man, I get out of the car and I left a big mark and a dent on the rear fender of this brand new car. And my friend's like, it, it's fine. It was probably there before. And I'm like, no, I can't. I can't just leave. I left a note on the car. And the guy's like, why, why, why did you do that? I wouldn't have done that. I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like I need to. This is the right thing to do. It's the honorable thing to do is to put a note on that car and deal with the consequences of my action. Turned out it was the pastor's car. He had been, it was a rental from work. He was a bivocational pastor. And he called me later. He's like, it's fine. We have good insurance. It happens all the time. No big deal. So I didn't get in trouble. No problem. But for me, I know this guy looked at me and saw me as different because I chose to do what was honorable. And that is what I think Peter is calling us to in this world as we're interacting with the people around us in every situation, especially those who view us negatively as Christians. We need to live an honorable life. Why? Why do we need to live an honorable life? That's what the last bit of this verse is for. It says, so that when they, the Gentiles that see your honorable life, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This world around us looks at Christians who are seeking to follow and live like Christ. We make people uncomfortable if they aren't living that way. If they see us and we're just too good for them, they don't like that. But someday, if we are living a life where we are seeking to follow Christ, it says that these people will see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Isn't it interesting? Why does Peter tell us to have good conduct? Is because it glorifies God. Someday, God will be glorified more if we walk in what is right when people accuse us of doing what is wrong. We are meant to bring God glory in everything we do. And we can do that when people persecute us by choosing what we do wisely. When people speak out against us, responding with gentleness, with patience, with kindness before them. And they may not like it, they may not like us, but someday they'll stand before God and say, yeah, they, they did well. God, you did a lot in them. I glorify you, God, because of what you did in that person and how they responded to that situation pointed me to you. Keep your conduct honorable. It's really interesting is what... Why do we do this too? Is because this is what our Savior did. When he came onto earth, he lived a life where he was sharing what was true. He was doing what was good. He was healing people. He was speaking the truth of God to the people around us. And those in power didn't like it. They looked at him and said, you're doing it wrong. You're messing with our system. We're afraid that what you are going to do is going to cause the Roman officials to come and take our nation away. We don't want what you do. And they persecuted him. They arrested him. They beat him. They killed him. And what did he do? He walked through it 
meekly and honorably, responding in a way that was right. He didn't defend himself in a way that was going to lead to him lashing out at others. He gave his life, and all of us glorify God because of it. And in a similar way, we get to be like Christ now. We get to look at his sacrifice and his way of conduct and say, I want to be like that. I will fall short, but I want to be like that to the people around me. And someday, people will glorify God because of that. It's kind of fun. This is, this is kind of the theme of our section for the next four weeks. Can we go to the next slide, Kira? From here, Peter carries on this thought of keeping your conduct honorable in specific relationships that the people had in their lives, the people of this first, these first century churches. It's how do you conduct yourself toward the authorities and the government around you that are opposed to Christianity? How do you conduct yourself toward masters if you are a bondservant or a slave? How do you conduct yourself towards spouses if your spouse is not a believer? How do you walk with them in a way that is honorable? And then finally he talks about, and then just toward everyone in general, all these people around you, what can you do to help them glorify God? And what we're going to do is each week we're taking one of these topics and we're going to talk about it and share a little bit about what does Peter say it takes to be honorable in your conduct. So this week I'm going to talk about authorities for the second part of our um, conversation here. OJ, he's going to come up and talk about the slave-master relationship. Yeah, that's right, Ethan. Go, Dad. Woo. Slave-master, and how does that apply to us today in our relationship with our employers or other people who are um, in a position of authority above us? And then the week after that, I'll, oh, actually, I guess there's convergence in there, isn't there? Yeah, so there's convergence, and then there's spouses. We'll talk about what does the Bible say about relating to husbands and wives and about um, how to relate to all. So this is kind of where we're going for the next three weeks. So to wrap up, I'm just going to hit on this authority one and the government. Most of you who are students or young don't have a lot of experience dealing with the government. I know there's at least a few people in our church who do, I know um, a lot of our folks who are in the engineering world and manufacturing have a lot of governmental hoops to jump through constantly. I've talked to Sarah, and she's always telling me about all the crazy things going on with the um, USDA, FDA, the FBI, the CDC. The, I don't know who you deal with, but just start throwing out little acronyms and let's move on and look at this next section about what Peter tells us about how to relate to those who are in governmental authority. So let's read the section, and I'll fly through this really quick, I think, and hopefully we'll be able to see some things here. So he encourages us to be subject to the authorities. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, 
but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. At this time, he's talking about being subject to every human institution. The biggest institution in their day was the Roman Empire. Obviously, there was an emperor in Rome ruling over a vast portion of the Mediterranean at that time. It was written about probably in um, late 50 AD is when we think this book was lightly written. And the emperor at the time was the emperor Nero, which many of us have heard of Nero. He's a very famous emperor, and he's looked on very poorly by pretty much every historian of his time. Everybody thought this guy was nuts, crazy, and kind of just generally a bad dude. Peter's writing to these churches, how do you live honorably? The first step he shares with them is be subject underneath this evil emperor and the governors he puts into place. Submit yourself to them. The word for subject, it's actually a military term to rank yourself under. Um, it's the same word to subordinate, to submit to one's control. He's telling them, look, treat them like they are the boss. They are in charge and do and obey what they say. Subject yourself to the human institution. Don't rebel against it. Don't fight against it. And he gives a couple of reasons why. One reason why, in verse 14, is because God is the one who has instituted these governments. He says that these governors are sent to punish the evil and praise those who do good. And elsewhere in Scripture, Paul, the apostle, writes about how to relate to government. He says that the government, they're ministers of God for good, to punish what is evil. That God has instituted government on this earth for what is good. Even if the government itself is corrupt, even if it's got problems, every government has problems, every form of government has problems. I have my preferences, you probably have yours, but it doesn't matter if you are a Christian, we are instructed to subject ourselves to the governing authorities. Why? Because God has given it as something for the good of humanity. You know, just because... Your parents might not be the best parents in the world. Maybe they are not good parents at all. God still tells you to honor your parents because he is the one who created that relationship. Even if it's broken, we still treat our parents with respect and honor because that's what God has given us. Same thing in marriage. Maybe marriage is a, your marriage is a horrible thing. All you young people don't know what I'm talking about yet, but someday you'll understand. Maybe your marriage is a horrible thing. That doesn't mean all marriage is bad and you can bash marriage as a whole. No, marriage is good. And even if just one marriage isn't great or your experience of marriage isn't great, doesn't mean that we don't honor it as something given to us by God. In the same way here, government is something that God has given to mankind for order. And we need to honor God through this. I love in the very beginning of this verse, why are we subject ourselves? It's for the Lord's sake. It's for the Lord's sake. It's not for our sake. It's not for their sake. It's because we see God as supreme and we recognize what God has given us 
And so we honor that and subject ourselves to what God has given us. So that's the first reason. It's because God has given it to us. Secondly, is because it's God's will that we should put to silence foolish people. I don't know if you guys have ever met foolish people before. I happen to know there's a few of us in this room right now. God says that by subjecting ourselves to our governing authorities, we can do good and put to silence the people who are accusing us. People who claim we're um, out against the government. In their time, there was a strong sect of Jewish people that wanted to overthrow the, Jewish gov- or the Roman government, um, violently fight the oppressor, and reestablish Israel as their own thing. And there was a lot of tension in their time of people wanting to overthrow the Roman government, and the Romans would come in and just completely squash them. And the Christians were regularly accused of rebelling against the Roman government because of the way they worshipped, that they didn't agree with the way that these foolish people that are accusing you will be silenced. The people that are ignorant, they don't understand what they're saying, they don't understand who we are by our submission to the government, by walking rightly and honorably toward those in authority, these people will be quiet. I love this. It says, live as people who are free, not using freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. What I think about is interesting about that is it... Um, section before was talking about being accused of evildoers. And here he's reminding them, people are going to accuse you of being evildoers. Make sure you're not actually being an evildoer. Just because you're free in Christ, we're not under the law of God the same way the Jews were under the Jewish Old Testament law. Just because we're free of those things doesn't mean we're free to do all the evil we want. That does not glorify God like we are made to do. It says, Live as a servant of God and do what's right. Now, I don't know when you guys think about subject to government authority. We have lived, and all of you have lived through a really interesting time in American history. In the last five to ten years, we have seen a lot of trouble in our society. A lot of things that people would say, this is unjust, this is wrong, something needs to change. There's the, um, <clears throat> the different riots that have happened in the last few years. There's the race riots that have happened due to the police killing unarmed black men. And there's all sorts of reasons around that. But what has happened is there's been riots, there's been protests, there's been fighting, there's been looting. And some of these people, they'll tell you, this has been happening for so long and nobody listens to us. We think the only way to get people to listen is to turn violent. This is the only way for people to hear us. I feel like whether you're on the right or on the left, a lot of people have a similar idea that violence is the answer to make change in our society. You've got to be louder and fight harder than the other people around you. And that, we've seen that played out again and again every couple of years here with things on the news constantly of people who say, this government isn't doing its job we are going to take matters into our own hand and make change. 
fact, it's this very American, right? If you go all the way back to the Tea Party, it's like, we don't like a three cent tax. We're going to throw all the tea in the haba. What? You guys like that? <laughs> I couldn't stop myself. I'm sorry. It's a Boston accent for those. Of you. Okay. Anyway. Um, Peter is telling us that is not the way for Christians. Christians are not called to violently overthrow anything. Violence and Christians shouldn't be in the same sentence. We're called to be meek like our Lord was meek. We're called to serve the way our Lord served. We're called to think of the things of heaven instead of the things of earth. Now, that doesn't mean we don't care about the government. We don't care about what the government stands for. In fact, we live in an amazing country where each and every one of us has a voice in what our government is supposed to be doing. We have a voice in who will rule over us in our government and different things like that, right? But what Peter is telling us here is like that and the workings of the government and trying to change those things is not our highest priority as a Christian. Our highest priority is to live as a servant of God and do what is right and honorable to the people around us. That is a higher priority than making drastic changes. I believe Christians who follow the Bible don't throw the tea in the harbor. I think Christians look at the tax, and they might not like it, but their goal is to win souls instead of change laws. Now, you can talk about a lot of different things. There's a lot of good Christians have done over the centuries in changing laws, and I am all for it. The Christians were the ones who led the movement in England to abolish slavery back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, because they valued people so much. But they didn't do it violently. They did it respectfully and with dignity, going through the right channels and leading a movement of people to change the law. There's a right way for Christians to see change in culture and government. It's by submitting to the government. And I believe it's through prayer, that we pray for our society. And it's through respectful discourse, that we engage with what we've been given and try to help this world respect those around us and um, bring dignity to the people in this world. Let's conclude here with the last verse. I think this verse is so great. If you guys are looking for a verse to memorize, this is a nice one to just keep in your pocket. It's kind of fun. It says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. It's a reminder of what Peter is teaching them. This is how you should live in this world. I don't think it's in a particular order. Honor everybody. We live honorably so that those people who see our lives will glorify God either now or when Christ comes again. We should love the brotherhood. Here the brotherhood is referring to the church, Christians, the people that God has brought into his kingdom. We are to love one another well. We're to lay down our lives for each other, build each other up, make sure we are being cared for and bringing more people into this family. Most of all, we're to fear God, and that means have our ultimate respect be in who God is and what he tells us to do. And last, he says, honor the emperor. Don't talk poorly about your, relig your government leaders. Honor them, respect them, speak well of them. Even if you disagree, whether they're doing what's right or what's wrong, you should honor them. 
one of the roughest times in the church in my lifetime, really, has been COVID. The number of pastors I know who lost a significant amount of their congregation during COVID. There's a lot. It was a really hard time for a lot of people. But what's really interesting is I think what I saw, the biggest wedge in the church today was over this issue of do we submit to our governing authorities? The politics around COVID, the wearing of masks, the getting of vaccines, it showed me how poorly united the church in America was and how bad our um, priorities in following Christ were it, as a whole. In our church, I'm really proud of us as a church. I feel like this wasn't an issue. But the number of churches where a church would make a stand to go one way or the other, will listen to the government and wear masks where it's mandated, or we're not going to listen to the government authorities and we're not going to wear masks. There are so many people I know that said, that's it, I can't go to this church anymore. I don't agree with this stance. I don't agree with what they're saying. I'm going to go somewhere else. And it caused rifts in church. It ripped many friendships apart of people I know where they loved a church and then all of a sudden they no longer love that church because of stances toward the government and toward COVID. That is not what we're called to, people. We are called to honor everybody, regardless of where we're at, regardless of what stance they are, whether you're on the right or on the left politically or down the middle or you're just a non-political person. Every single one of us is worthy of honor and worthy of respect despite what we think and believe. Every single one of us is made in the image of God and there is really no political thing that should divide the church. We should dig in, fear God, and seek to do what's honorably in the sight of all. Going forward, next week, OJ is going to talk on the topic of honoring people who are above you employment-wise. And this is something that's really important for us and as a society. We are capitalistic. Slavery is not a thing in our country, which is great. And what we're going to look at slavery in the time of the first century and how were those people who are in a pretty unfair system, how should they relate and be honorable to those who are their masters? But today we just want to remember that we are called to honor everybody. As we go out, we want to make sure God is our number one priority and treating others with rightness and conducting ourselves honorably is what God has called us to do in Jesus Christ. So why don't we pray, and we're going to have the band come up, and we're going to sing one more song together. Lord Jesus, thank you just for your instruction. God, to be so easy in this world to have a couple of thoughts about who you are and what you want, and then to go out and try to apply it, and we'd all be on different pages. God, we'd all be doing our own thing, and it'd be so easy for passion and lust and pride to reign in our lives, yet you care enough to help us know the way of life. God, that you saved us from hell through the death of your son and gave us an eternity in heaven with you as we believe in him. But God, also you teach us how to live in this world now to honor you and bring glory to you and help others to see how good you are, Lord. And I pray that you'd be helping us to desire to be like that. God, you'd be helping us to want to put off our flesh and walk in what is right and good and honorable for your sake. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, please be sure to subscribe. 
To learn more about Grace Church, visit our website, wlgrace.org. See you next week.